0: We are in the Book of John. We've been in the series of John now for what? Uh, this is our seventh week. Um, let's 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 stay standing. We're gonna do some. We're gonna do some scripture reading. I know, I know. It's tough. Um, I <laughs> well, I love this. It's hard to break into good conversation. I say, that no one's still listening. Hey, my name's Heath, by the way. I didn't introduce myself. If you're new, thank you for joining us at Valley Community Church. Uh, It's my joy. It's one of my privileges um, to be a pastor here. And it's one of my joys to preach um, out of the book of John. So today we are in John chapter 9. It will be up here on the screen. If you have your analog version of the Bible, it's always nice to hear pages rustling. So John chapter 9, and then we will dig into this. This is the word of the Lord. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me. Father, thank you for the grace of your word. Thank you for the illumination you bring to our hearts and to our minds. You are the light. Would you grant us the eyes to see who you are and how you are at work? And Lord, would you give me the wisdom to use my time wisely this morning to lift you up that we might see the beauty of Christ? So, by the power of the Spirit, would you do a wonderful work in us and help us to see in a new way this morning? It's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> this story is earthy, right? It's, it's bodily, it's messy, it's a bit crude, maybe a little dirty and, and grotesque. What a sight it must have been to see this blind man With mud smeared eyes, stumble, tripping, fumbling forward, bumping about, making his way down a busy road with a strange sense of excitement about him as he worked his way towards the water's edge. So, how did we get here? How did we get here to this mud eyed man stumbling towards the water? Well, today, five words are going to help lead us through the passage. Five words will help us hopefully understand the flow and the meaning of John chapter 9. Those five words are stones, mud, water, light, and blood. Stones, mud, water, light, and Blood And in these elemental things, we will get to see by by God's grace, by the empowering of his his spirit, the good news of who Jesus is, which is why John writes this book, which is why John writes this passage, which is why John points to this sixth sign to show us who Jesus is. Now, in John 9, we have the sixth sign that John curates, that he uh, holds up for us so that we could see the person and work of Jesus. Now to locate ourselves in the story, let's look at this map really quickly. This is kind of the literary design of the book of John. If you recall, if you've been here for more than a few weeks, you can see that there's four big parts: prologue, book of signs, book of glory, epilogue. The book of signs, chapters 2 through 12, has seven key signs that are, are there to help us see who Jesus is. Today we are in the sixth sign. You can see it there where the star is, the healing of the blind man in chapter 9. The first sign. Jesus turned water to wine. The second sign, Jesus heals an official's dying son. The third sign, Jesus heals a man who was sick, paralyzed for some 38 years. The fourth sign, Jesus feeds 5,000, more like 15 to 20,000 when, when women and children are included. The fifth sign, Jesus walks on water, which we looked at last week. And then the sixth sign, Jesus heals a man born, excuse me, born blind. So let's let the story do its work here in us today. And and hopefully, um, as the story works in us, we'll begin to see some of the ways that we actually don't see very well. Um, It seems to me that we could all use a little Jesus mud in our eyes. Now, before we get to the mud, uh, we have to start with the stones, right? Stones, mud, water, light, and blood. So let's begin with the stones, What's our setting? What's our context? Well, it is the Feast of Tabernacles. It is late in the fall, most likely the second week of October. Daylight is getting shorter as the year grows older. And during this time, the Jewish people celebrated the major holiday. That's called the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, or Sukkot. And this holiday was meant to remember, to recall God's provision for his people when they were in the wilderness, right? He'd taken them out of slavery. They're in the wilderness. They're heading towards the promised land. They're living in, in tents. They're, they're camping for quite some time. And so in this uh, holiday festival, they would create these booths or tabernacles, and they would basically camp out for a week to recall what God had done, how he moved them through the wilderness to the promised land. Now, during this festival, in front of the temple, they they put up these four massive uh, menorahs, these lamps, and they would light these each night. Massive, massive lamps. And these were there to remind people that God had been with them, leading them through the darkness of their wilderness. Remember, he was um, a a pillar of fire, right? To, To give them warmth, to give them light in the darkness, to protect them, to guide them To lead them. And so they would light these every night, and the city would be aglow with the remembrance of God that lit their way. This is really important to understand our story. In response to this festival tradition and this radiance that lit up the city, Jesus shouts, I am the light. I am the light. Cue uncomfortable tension and shocked responses. Jesus has just dropped a theological bombshell. right? This is a Messiah mic drop kind of moment. Because people understand what the claim is. And so this continues. This it exacerbates. It, it amplifies the the sparring that's been going on between Jesus and the religious leaders. They reject the claim that Jesus is God's light to his people. And so the dialogue goes back and forth, and Jesus claims something unthinkable. So if we back up just a little bit to chapter 8, to set the context for our, our story today, this is what we find. Chapter 8, verses 12 through 13, and then 58 through 59. It says this, Again, Jesus spoke to them, that's at the Feast of Tabernacles, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, if You're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And then we'll skip forward. So just imagine some more spicy dialogue here, okay? On to verse 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Okay, so Jesus says he existed before Abraham. How old is Jesus? He's just over 30 years old, right? 33-ish. Like, Abraham was a long time ago. Jesus says before Abraham was, I am. He's claiming to be God, to be Yahweh in, in the flesh. And this swiftly paints a target, a bullseye on him he's accused of blasphemy the religious leaders pick up stones to kill him right then and right there but Jesus leaves the temple goes into stealth ninja mode and he's gone again and Jesus just keeps doing that stones that is a spring-loaded high stakes tension-filled spiritual conflict context of our story today now on the way out of that temple Amidst the epic scene of the collision of light and darkness, we get our verses that we read. So let's start with verses 1 through 5. So Jesus passes by a man in the dark, literally, a man born blind, and Jesus sees him. Those are important words, those are powerful words. Jesus sees him. Jesus was just about to get murdered, they wanted to kill him, his mind could have been on self-protection and all these other things, but he sees A man with a disability on the side of the road amidst the whole crush of people. He sees the one other people don't see. If we can just stop there for a minute. Jesus sees those that other people don't see, Jesus sees those with disabilities that the world doesn't like to see or doesn't want to see because they don't know how to engage in conversation or interact because they get awkward or uncomfortable, Jesus enters, right, and he sees this man. What a beautiful thing. We as Christians are called to see those who aren't seen. That's why we have a disability ministry here. By God's grace and spirit, we're trying to see those who often are not seen and to to love them and their families well. So what a beautiful line Jesus sees. Right. Jesus sees him. And so here's a man who's born blind. Here's a man who has never seen the red skin or the ruby seeds of a pomegranate. He's never seen the, the white or the gold of the temple shining um, in, in the Middle Eastern sun. He's never seen the blue sky above. He's never seen mud beneath his feet. He's never seen and so then, this is, this is amazing, the disciples ask a question. Why do they ask a question? Well, they see Jesus seeing this guy. They see Jesus' attention attuned to this guy, and so they ask a question. They say, Rabbi, is it this guy's sin or his parents' sin that has him blind? And they're asking out of the framework of, of their understanding, because in this day and age, they thought um, all, all sin um, or sickness comes from sin. Right? So all sickness would come from some sin. So if you were born with some kind of disability or some kind of genetic defect, something congenital, then you either sinned in the womb somehow or the parents sinned. So that was the framework that they were operating from. And Jesus blows their categories apart. Neither. Nope. See, they, they wanted to understand the cause, but he points to the purpose. He says, here's what it is for. It's for the glory of God to be seen. His blindness is for the glory of God to be revealed to a world that is blind. Jesus is about to bring light to this man and then light to this world because the story would be recorded and the story would go in the Gospel of John and the Gospel of John would go out to all the world, to a world that needed to see who Jesus is. Jesus turns this man's suffering into glory. God uses suffering for his glory, and there's someone in here who needs to hear that today. Jesus, by his grace, turns suffering into glory. Grace turns suffering into a channel of praise, a display of God's glory. Our suffering is not meaningless. It has purpose in the scarred hands of Christ. So maybe that, that's you. Um, maybe it's an internal um, suffering of your soul, of your mind, a mental illness. Maybe it's, it's something physical. But in the hands of Jesus Christ, that suffering is not meaningless. It can become a channel, a conduit for the glory of God and bring light and love to other people. Next, Jesus now links the glowing torches of the temple, right? The, the symbol of God's presence with his people out in the wilderness. He links that... And his statement that he is light with what he's about to do with this man. He links it all up. In other words, Jesus has told who he is. Now he's going to show that he's the light. Show and tell. Object lesson time with Jesus. And he does it in a dramatic way. Verse 5, he says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, what does the light of the world do? He spits. (laughs) The light of the world, the celestial, like, oh, Things like he spits, he spits on the dirt, he makes mud from stones now to mud. Verses 6 through 7: having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back, seeing. Let's not miss this. Jesus makes mud with his spit. And then he gets down on the ground and rubs his hands in it. And then he touches this man and rubs his, his dirty, muddy, spitty hands on the guy's face. It's a soil and saliva salve. <laughs> and he tells him to go to the pool of Salome and wash. And the man goes, he washes and he comes back and he can see. Now hold on. Spit, mud, dark eyes coming to life. So that's weird. That's weird, right? Does Jesus have magic spit? Should I have called the sermon magic spit? Is this medicinal mud, right? You know, what else is really, really weird? What else is weird that we don't often see in this story because we don't understand the historical context of the geography, is that Jesus sends this guy on a long walk. Have you ever realized that? He sends this guy on a long walk. He sends a blind guy, whose eyes are doubly blind, because now they're covered with mud, on a long walk. What is up? How far is this walk? It's going to be a good 15 to 20 minute walk, if you can see. So here, look at this slide. I hope this helps us. Okay, so this is a map of, of Jerusalem. So see where that fire icon is? That's the temple mount. That's where those glowing torches are. That's where the temple is. Right outside of there is where Jesus meets this guy. So remember, the, the, the torches are all lit up. Um, and then the, the religious leaders, they're, they're all lit up. They're mad at Jesus because he says he's a light. They want to stone him. Jesus exits stage right. He meets the blind man, spits mud, tells him to go take a long walk to Siloam. Remember, last time Jesus healed someone in John, John 5, he does it with a word, right? So Jesus doesn't have to do all this. What what in the world is he doing? He's up to something. Why now this spit and this mud and this long stumble tripping walk? This distance, by the way, is is about 2,080 feet. Now there's an elevation change that's almost 400 feet. Feet. What does that mean? That means there's about a 19-ish percent grade. That means this this walk that this guy is about to go down, blind, mud on the eyes, is a 19 percent grade, which is steeper than Lombard Street in the city, which is now about 16 percent. Okay. It's a packed street, steep grade, 2,080 feet. Quick calculations, 2,080 feet, that's over 690 yards, that's over one-third of a mile, it's almost seven football fields down descending stone steps in a crowd, and the guy's blind and he has mud on his eyes. What is going on? Water. He sends the guy to water. Here's a good spot to talk a moment about the Pool of Siloam. John wants us to know about it. This is why he explains the name. He says, the pool of Salome, and then for his readers, he says, oh, by the way, that word means sent. Salome in Hebrew means sent. It means to be sent out. Or like from a water source, it gushes out. The spring sends forth water. And by the way, it's also the root word for uh, uh, the Latin for uh, missionary or mission. Because a missionary is somebody who is sent out. It's a sent one. Now here's the deal. Seven centuries before Jesus, King Hezekiah brilliantly rerouted some, some water because the water source went outside the walls of Jerusalem and the Assyrians were going to invade and he's a good king. He's like, we better protect our water source or else they can take us out by polluting our water source or damming it up. So King Hezekiah dug a tunnel. You, by the way, you can walk this tunnel today. Let's do the next slide. So last time we were there, we walked through it. If, if you're claustrophobic, don't walk through this with us. Next time we go... There's some of you in the room um, who walked this, this tunnel with us. It's a long walk through water. Um, and th- So you can walk through it today. So he dug this tunnel to put all the water inside, and it routed to a place that was called the Pool of Siloam, which was a pool of living water because it was spring-fed. So let's go to the next slide. Okay, this one's really important to me. So see the blue? That's the tunnel that was dug. But see the little white dots that go up, 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 and up? There you can see the elevation change. This is the route that this guy walked with mud on his eyes, stumble tripping to get to the pool. Isn't that wild? The pool of Siloam is the lowest place in Jerusalem. How beautiful is that? One is healed, one is washed at the low place, the humble place. The spring-fed pool of living water, the low pool of living water, The place of humility, the place of washing. Also relevant to our passage is that the entire week of the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles, the Jewish people know how to party. They don't do it for a day. They do them for weeks at a time. So every day during this feast, the priests start way up there. They walk down procession. They get water from this pool of living water in the jars. They carry it all the way back up. They go to the temple. They pour the water out on the altar and pray for rain for the next year. That the Lord would provide for them because he is their provision like he provided for them in the wilderness. So, get this. Jesus, who John, in a number of places, is, who's is called the sent one. Jesus is called the sent one. He sent from the Father on mission. Sends the blind man to be washed in the pool of sent. The man, like the priest, went down, goes and gets in the water washes the mud off, he's cleansed, and then he heads back up towards the temple, and he came back seeing. This is just the start of the story, though. It gets better. Conflict ensues. So as you can imagine, this story of amazing grace causes quite a stir. <clears throat> So here's what I want to do. I just want to outline a a big portion of this. I would encourage you to continue to read all the words of this in your comm group or or by yourself with your family this week. I can only give you um, the the outlay of it today. So let's look at that outline now. So verses 8 through 12, the story is told of what happens. This guy who couldn't see, he's been blind since birth, is, is seeing. So Friends, neighbors are trying to figure out what happened. They're trying to figure out, like, is this the same guy? It can't be the same guy because no no one's healed from that. But he's like, dude, it's me. (laughs) Can't you see? Like, the ironies in this passage are incredible. So he's like, it's me. But no one's been healed of blindness like this before. It's unparalleled. It's unprecedented. So they ask him, what happened? And the guy's like, this man, Jesus, made mud with his spit. He rubbed it on my face. I took a long walk. I washed it off and I can see. He just tells the story simply. And they say, where is he? Where's this guy? And he's like, I don't know. I couldn't see him at first. Then, verses 13 through 17, this is interrogation number one. A trial starts. Because the neighbors of people are like, oh my goodness, this is important. Let's tell the religious leaders. And they tell the religious leaders. And instead of celebrating that this man can see, they see a big problem. This miracle was done on what day? The Sabbath. And the Sabbath was for honoring God. So don't you do anything good on the Sabbath. Right? They had all these laws, these oral laws. Not God's laws, but man-made laws and traditions of things they could or couldn't do. And so they see a big problem with this whole thing. You you shouldn't heal unless someone's life was threatened. You should wait till Monday, then you heal the person. Because you're honoring God on, on the Sabbath. So, they want to bring this issue, ironically, to light and solve it. The leaders are going to grill this guy. What happened? What happened? And the likable chap that he is, he tells it like it is. Verse 15, he put mud on my eyes. I washed and I see. He's a witness. He's a witness. <clears throat> a debate ensues. Jesus can't be of God because he broke a Sabbath command. But then others are saying, well, he must be of God because nobody can heal the blind. But he can't be, he's a sinner. So this debate goes back and forth. And they ask the now once blind man, what do you say about him? He's like, he's a prophet. He's a prophet. That takes us to verses 18 through 23. Interrogation number two. But this time it's with mom and dad. And mom and dad, they punt. It's a little weird. The leaders aren't getting the answers that they want from the guy. And they want to make sure he was actually blind from birth. Because there's no way somebody can be healed who is blind from birth. So they go and talk to mom and dad. Hey, was was he blind from birth? You were there. Like, absolutely. And then they want to know what happened, and mom and dad are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're not going to, no, we're not getting in this. Like, let him answer. Because if they side with Jesus, they know what's coming exile, excommunication. They're punted out of the community. So I don't quite know what to do with their motives and how all that works, but we'll move on from there. Verse 24. Through 27. This is an interrogation number three. This is their second time talking to the blind man. And this is where we see their confirmation bias. So they go to talk with the man again. They're going to get down to the bottom of this. They pressure him. They say, you know, confess God or, or, or speak the truth. Don't lie. We know this man is a sinner. We know he's a sinner. So let me just read it for you. So you can see the confirmation bias in operation. and We'll explain what that means. So verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he's a sinner I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. The melody should be ringing through your head right about now. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, (laughs) This is like my favorite part of this whole thing i told you already and you would not listen why do you want to hear it again do you also want to be his disciples like, uh, right their blood pressure is just pumping right now but you see the confirmation bias here don't you what's confirmation bias what's the tendency to search for interpret favor recall information in a way that confirms or supports one's existing beliefs you're not looking for the truth you're seeing things in a way that just confirms what you already believe what's real what's actual doesn't matter to you you just want to keep believing what you're believing see notice how they're they're not amazed by the miracle they're obsessed by the mud they're stuck in the mud how? 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 If you, if you do a, a deep analysis of the words that they use, they're constantly asking, how did this happen? How did this happen? How did this happen? Why? Why are they asking that? Because they have already judged him guilty. They don't want him to be the Messiah. And the, the Jewish people knew that there was going to be one who was the, the healer of sight right? Isaiah 29, Isaiah 35, Psalm 146, when the messianic age dawned, when the healer, the restorer, the redeemer would come and make all things right, one of the unique signs of the Messiah would be he would open up the eyes of the blind. They know their scriptures enough to go, I don't like this because if, if he did that, he's the Messiah. We don't want him to be the Messiah. All our power structures are altered and our game is over. Jesus comes in and he changes at all, so they ask how, 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 because they're trying to gig him on the laws of Sabbath based on their own rules. Okay, why would why would the the how, you know, uh, make him to be a sinner, break the Sabbath? Because to spit in their laws, well, if you spit on a Sabbath, it could accidentally hit some dirt, and if it hits some dirt, it would mix into mud. And what's what's mixing? Ah, uh, that's work. Dang it, best not spit on the Sabbath. You also could not apply ointment on a Sabbath because that was work. So they keep asking how because they're trying to take Jesus down because they already have a belief. They are steeped in pride and confirmation bias. Do you think you've ever been in a a cycle, a circle of confirmation bias and someone tells you something? But you see only what you want to see. So let's not just point our fingers at them. We do this all the time. They don't want to see the sign of the miracle. Now, then we get um, the faithful witness speaking here again, verses 28 through 34. So remember, (laughs) this guy's like, so you guys want to be his disciples too? I love it. So he's just like "Ah," jabbing them. And it says, and they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple. That's not a compliment. But we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And then the guy, like, answers, again, the blind guy can see so clearly. Why? why, This is an amazing thing. It's like, you guys are weird. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes? We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world has begun has it been heard that anyone opened his eyes, uh, anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. You would teach us? So in other words, they lean in like, you're a sinner. You've been a sinner since your, your, your birth. I mean, look at you. You can't look. And you're going to teach us, the ones who have open eyes, the ones who are the teachers of Israel. So they insult him, and then they cast him out. They excommunicate him. They exile him. And then don't you just love this guy? Like, he just keeps speaking the truth. He stands up to peer pressure. He doesn't throw Jesus under the bus like the other guy who was healed. He speaks good of him. He's funny. He's witty. He's he's courageous. He can finally see. His world is full of wonderful technicolor. And he doesn't give a rip about these silly opinions. He's seeing now. So he has this courage and this bravery born out of this miracle that happens in him. By the way, take an hour this week and go back to John chapter 5. Maybe do this with your comm group. Read the healing of the man uh, who was sick for 38 years. Compare and contrast these two accounts. And it will pop new things. The book of John is just brilliant. Don't have time. We'll move on. Now Jesus comes to find this outcast. Let's read this last bit because this is his gold. This is gold. So now we move from stones to mud to water at the pool now to light. Verse 35 through 41. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, (laughs) he finds him doesn't leave him to be cast out alone. He finds him. And he said, do you believe in the son of man? The man answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, So, what, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Whew. Look, Jesus finds the man. He asks him if he believes in the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Messiah. And the guy says, who is he? And Jesus says, me. And the man says, yes. I believe and he worships. In this moment, he doesn't just see with his optical nerve and the flesh of his eyeballs. He sees with spiritual sight. He sees with his heart. And then Jesus tells us what it means, that he is the light. The light comes to open eyes and to reveal spiritual blindness. And here is the sixth sign. What does this sign mean? The sixth sign is that Jesus is the light that heals sight and reveals blindness. Jesus is the light come into this world that heals our spiritual sight and reveals blindness. He heals physical sight, but he heals our spiritual sight and reveals blindness. And the religious leaders are like, so you calling us blind? And he's like, bingo. Yeah, because you can't see the radiance that's in front of you. Because you're too wed and you're too married to your old ways and holding your power and holding your prestige and you have zero compassion. This man has been blind since birth and you care about making mud? Jesus came to reveal how the laws were there to point people to the love of God. Not to crush the people Not to create a burden, not to make twice the sons of hell, but to free them to live. And he says, you're blind. And that's what light does. Light comes and it reveals what's been dark. It changes eyes, it pops them alive, or it shows how truly blind you are. Now, this is incredible. So John tells a story in this way where this man whose eyes are healed has has progressive growth in spiritual sight. First, he talks about Jesus as the man who healed him. Then he moves on and calls him the prophet. Then he talks about the man being the one who's not a sinner. And then he goes on and talks about Jesus being the son of man. Like there's a progressive uh, clarity in his vision. But then the reverse happens with the religious leaders. Right? They should have the sight. But as the story goes on, they get more and more and more blind. The blind man sees more and more. The leaders grow more and more blind. So where are we in this story? Right? Where are we? What are we supposed to see in this sixth sign? A couple things here. Um, There's a few different pictures in here. The sixth sign shows us these three things as well. It's a picture of humanity's dire spiritual condition. It's a picture of salvation as a work of recreation by God's grace. And it's a picture of our calling to be a faithful witness. So a few words on each of these. A picture of humanity's dire spiritual condition. We are all sinners in need of saving grace. The blind man is representative of all mankind. All people are spiritually blind. A condition that we inherit from birth. We are spiritually blind. We don't chase after God. In fact, we refuse. We reject. We run from him and we are totally totally incapable of saving ourselves completely our only hope is that god would make the first move that he would initiate that he would seek the lost and save us by sending his son so people are born into the darkness of sin sin is a congenital spiritual issue the blind man cannot see cannot make himself better No amount of trying, no amount of of squinting, no amount of, of willpower will help him to see the golden glow of the line of dawn. No amount of trying will help him to see his reflection in the cool water of the pool. None of it will help. His parents can't heal him. The religious leaders can't heal him. Just following the law won't heal him. What will heal him? Jesus Jesus is his only hope. Jesus is the one who brings him sight. Only Jesus can bring us the spiritual sight. And only Jesus can bring us eternal life. Our problem is so great that only a radical miracle of recreation is, is, is necessary. Like that, that's all that will do it. A radical miracle of recreation. And so that takes us then to the second one. A picture of salvation as a work of recreation. The sign works to show us that salvation is a recreation of the human being. Remember the mud. John is tying back into Genesis 1 and 2. It's subtle, but it's powerful. It's there. Remember, Genesis 1 and 2, there's darkness. And God speaks. And then there's what? Light. And God creates. And then what does God do? He puts his hands in the clay, in the dirt, and he molds human beings. And then he breathes his spirit in to make human beings in his image. And what happens here? In our story, we have darkness. Then God, the sun, speaks light into the darkness. Then he puts his hands into the dirt. He mixes the dirt with his spit like, like the breath and touched the man with his hands as though he's recreating the man's very own eyes, resculpting his rods, his cones, his cornea, his pupil, his optic nerve. Recreation. The man, born blind, meanwhile, has become a new creation, full of light, full of sight, full of insight. In his old birth, in the old Adam, he was blind. In his new birth, through the new Adam, he is able to see, not only with his eyes, but with his heart, Jesus is the Messiah. Come on, the Bible. It's so good. Jesus is incredible. So, this mud that now speaks to new creation, mud and water, that leads to light points us to how. How does recreation happen? How does light enter into our darkness? And this story, as we started out by saying, is earthy, it's bodily, it's messy, it's crude, it's a bit, it's a bit grotesque. But th- that earthiness, that bodily messiness brings about glorious light. See, Jesus mixes spit, moisture from his own body. Jesus mixes moisture from his own body with the dirt ...of this world to bring sight. You do realize he does that again on the cross. The cross is earthy, bodily, messy. So from stones to mud to water to light... ...now to the blood. The blood of Jesus is the sin-washing, enemy-reconciling, sight-giving blood of the Son of God. Christ shed and applied his blood for us that we might, like this blind man, see... So all who have been graciously, sovereignly, and compassionately healed and touched by Jesus, see who he is. Salvation is messy. It's inconvenient. It's gritty business. And we keep wanting to, like, tidy up the the cross, like, civilize this whole deal. But you do realize that the heart of our salvation is a bloodied and battered man who died for us. In gross circumstances. And yet we want to keep our faith really clean and keep our reputation really clean. And and make sure we don't say something stupid or something awkward in front of somebody else who needs salvation. We're called to be faithful witnesses. I once was blind, but now I see. This is the testimony of every Christian. Man, if, if, if I had the time to tell you about the last week of April. 2007. In B 303 in the Ute Creek apartments in Longmont, Colorado, where, where me and my spiritual smugness and, and self-righteousness and blindness, by God's grace, went down to the floor one way and got up another, and I could see the beauty of Christ. I didn't deserve it. But he and his sovereign grace opened my eyes that day. And suddenly my life was different. He opened my eyes by amazing grace. And how can I not share that with people? I'm called to be a witness. His grace changed my pharisaical, self-righteous, I'm the, I don't need any Jesus mud on my eyes kind of guy because I'm really nice and moral. I'm good. He needed to change me so my song would be, I was blind and now I see. I'm born again, I'm a new creation by God's grace. Third, lastly, I was blind and now I see is shorthand for how a Christian lives out the apprenticeship practice of faithful witness. So here's what happens. When the dead come to life, people hear about it. When the blind see, people take notice. The reasonable response is, is wonder and gratitude and telling people, can you believe it? This is what happened. I'm different. I got up off the floor, a different man. After that mud, this guy was different. His whole life was different. So Jesus tells his, the disciples at one point, he says, you are to be my witnesses. You are to be my witnesses, which just means go and tell people what I've done for you. Jesus tells his disciples to go do that, and this man does that. This man in the story shows us a bit of what witnessing looks like. As we tell and retell the story of God's grace in our lives, we will get greater clarity of God's grace in our lives like this man has. We go even deeper into this process of seeing him, And then we get conflict. People won't believe us. They'll think we're crazy. There will be resistance. We may be ousted from relationships, exiled, excommunicated. It's going to take courage. But we are to be sent into the world. We are people of the pool of Siloam. That's what we are as Christians. Washed in the healing waters of Jesus, the sent one. Given great spiritual sight. Sent by Jesus, who was sent into this world to show the love of the Father. We are sent to gush the gospel to an arid world. So I want want to ask this. What's your story of I was blind and now I see? I know a lot of them. What's your story of I was blind and now I see? And can I encourage you? Look for any tiny, minuscule excuse to share that with whoever's in front of you. Be as liberal as you can be with sharing that. Hey, thanks. Do you want bags with that at Trader Joe's? <laughs> Excuse. Like, find a way. Gush the gospel. You are sent into this world by the sent one who was changing the world by the, his spirit moving through you. And let me ask you this revealing question. When was the last time you told somebody your story of I was blind and now I can see? When was the last time? I'm just going to let that sit uncomfortably here for a moment. I'm a pastor who gets up here and does this every Sunday. And aside from doing this with you all, the last time I did this with somebody that I met out there in the world was months ago at a conference when I met somebody at Sushi who was clearly lonely and needed Jesus and couldn't see at all. Look for the littlest excuse to tell the gospel. Man. I'm so blind. I still, I still have so much darkness in how I see things. So may God make us storytellers who are telling again and again and again the good news of stones, of mud, of water, of light, and of the blood. And let me close with this. This is the prayer. Would you join me in praying this all week? Maybe you'll feel silly praying it, but maybe that'll reveal our own blindness. Why don't we pray this over and over and over and over again? this Jesus. Oh, this this week. <laughs> Help me, Jesus. Mud me. Mud me, Jesus. Help me to see. Simple, right? Mud me, Jesus. Help me to see. Help me see. What am I not seeing? about who you are and what I need? What if we start our day like that? What if we end our day like that? What am I not seeing about who you are and what I need? Mud me, Jesus. Mud us, Jesus. Mud us. Father, thank you for the good news that you sent your Son to bring sight to the blind. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. And I pray uh, even now in this moment, Lord, that we would begin to see anew who you are. Maybe there are those in this room who have been blind their whole life and never seen you. Would today be the day of salvation? Would they see you? Would you be wiping mud on their eyes right now washing it off by the power of your spirit for your glory? And for those who are believers in this room, would we all need to see you more clearly? So may we all walk out of here with some Jesus mud on our eyes. Would you wash us this week? that we would fall more in love with you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.